Welcome to a Meathead Hippie Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Schramm, and I'm so grateful you are here. This interview with Matt Kahn was just one of my favorites. I felt so nourished and loved, and it was so multidimensional. We went through a lot of different things. We went through my original finding of him, which is everything is here to help you, and the concept of not trying to convince yourself that everything is here to help you, but listening to the story of why things aren't here to help you and not trying to spiritually bypass some of these deep feelings. Sometimes we are in the spiritual world of just be positive and the law of attraction and it'll come to you if you do the dance. (laughs) And that's what I love about Matt. He talks so deeply about uh, that's not really how it works. There's just so much about understanding the story and what it is about who you are and maybe what you think you want is not really actually what you want, but that's um, part of the journey. So we also go into a really, really deep conversation about honesty as an empath. And I really struggle with this because I am such an empath and therefore I have a hard time being very honest. It's sometimes too raw or real and I can tell like, whoa, okay, I have to like tone it back how I say it or... I don't say it at all. Uh, I, I navigate that. So we really deep dive into this, which I am so grateful for because I needed to hear this so much. And we just had so many good nuggets at the end. We even talked about our relationship with eating meat, which I think is an important conversation with spirituality and eating meat and Um, our bodies as a temple and what that means. So I just want to share a little bit about Matt. If you haven't gotten to know him through his amazing work, he is an incomparable spiritual teacher, an attuned empathic healer, powerful speaker, captivating author. He enriches people's lives by providing heart-centered solutions that ignite, delight, and unite. Matt wrote the highly acclaimed books, Whatever Arises, Love That, Everything is Here to Help You, and the universe always has a plan, but his newest book, All for Love, The Transformative Power of Holding Space, just won a ton of awards. He's very, very well known on YouTube. Find him at mattcon.org or on Instagram, mattconofficial. And then he just released this this amazing documentary called um, Healed by Love, which I, I love. It's no pun intended, so much love, mattcon.org slash love is where you can find it and download for free. It's really beautiful. I hope you enjoy this conversation. I'm so honored that we finally got to have it. And as far far as a quick update from me, I am traveling around. I'm, I'm about to be everywhere, but I do have an amazing M survival kit that is for sale. It is my favorite three supplements, magnesium, BCAAs, and my Detox Complete. You can get them all as a bundle. You can save $37, and I teach you how to use it with some bonus recipes. Very, very nourishing for all parts of you, especially if you are working out or looking at building lean muscle. So the magnesium for sleep, stress, recovery, the BCAAs for fasted workouts or just pre-workout, and then also the Detox Complete, which is an amazing protein powder that also helps with liver and gut. So such a powerful combo. This is all available on myempirica.com. And if you haven't tried my supplements, please go check out that website and use the code MEATHEADHIPPIE for 15% off. I'm excited for you to get your hands on this, and I'm about to launch a giveaway. So go check it, check out the giveaway on my Instagram, Emily Schramm. 
I am thankful for you. And without further ado, here is Matt Kahn. <laughs> I'm Emily Schramm, the ultimate meathead hippie. Welcome to the show. Can you see me? Can you hear me? Yes. Can you hear and see me? I can. Hello, Matt. Hello. How are you? I'm so good. You look fantastic. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Welcome. Uh, this has been a long time coming. I just got <laughs> such a dose of Matt love just right before we hit it start. I just was all over your Instagram and I'm on your new documentary that just got released and like, oh. Uh, the way you show up in the world yeah. and your light and your love and your heart. It's like, <laughs> I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful to have you talk with me and to share that love and light a little bit, a little bit more as you do every day. Wow. Well, thanks for having me. It's, those are, such, those are some kind words and I'm just taking a second to really take that in. So thank you so much. You're so welcome. Ah, oh, so where are you calling from? Where Where are you located? Where's your life at? My life is currently in Arizona. Okay, weather is okay. Is do you get sun in Arizona in February? Um, right now it is drizzly. Um, and I because I've been here for a few months. I just moved out of here. I'm I'm actually getting married in in March, and so my fiance, soon to be wife, is from Arizona. So we're moving. We moved here to um, be with her daughter. And so I've been here, you know, as a native of Arizona for about three months, I could say, um, I heard the summers are pretty hot. I've heard this, um, during the winter so far, everywhere in the country, it seems like has biblical level winters except us. And I'm really jealous of that. I really, uh, I, I really <laughs> love rain, love cold, I love snow. So um, it drizzles a little bit. Uh, it, it's beautiful here. Uh, it's beautiful arid desert temperatures. And um, yeah, I'm happy either way. But I, I love rain and uh, can't rain enough for me. So. <laughs> the same. It's actually raining right now. So I'm in my van in a parking lot. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. I, I got a van. I mean, it's crazy how it's been almost a year and a half and just... Um, traveling around. I did US and Mexico and Canada. And now I'm taking it up to see my sister in Northern California, but it's in California, this huge rain is coming and it's been so beautiful because it's so needed. Like, oh, it just feels like everything can breathe a little bit, but um, I'm sleeping like a baby well, sleeping <laughs> in a van when it's raining. I, I just pass out. I'm just like, it's the best kind of sleep you can get. <laughs> Amazing. Well, congratulations. Yeah. It seems like uh new beginnings for many of us and hopefully <sighs> any of us listening and watching. So, I mean, that's kind of, yes, the awakening, <laughs> the, the beginning of so much for so many people and feeling as if it's starting from scratch, but yet it's the, the potential, the, the beautiful start for so many, just this, um, release, I think maybe that's a beautiful place to start. My first introduction to you, Matt, was, um, everything is here to help you. Mm. And it stayed in my forefront, in my eyesight, that book, that mantra, 
everywhere. It was like, I, I had to keep it in sight just as a reminder. And I'm so grateful for that. And I think of it often because it's so easy to victimize or blame, or just all of a sudden feel like the world isn't trying to support you, but it is, everything is here to help you. And it's, if someone is struggling with feeling that, which I know so many people are, yeah. and this is a little hard to just summarize, you know, a lot of your work into just a response to this question, but um, for someone listening that doesn't feel like everything is here to help them, where can they begin to shift that consciousness and that, that internal narrative that they might be struggling with? It's a great question. And I want to answer it differently just because every time I'm doing a dialogue, I want to be unique. So if someone hears those words, everything is here to help you and says, not my experience. I want to start with giving some insight and advice to the people in those people's lives that feel that way. Meaning, let's say you're someone who senses on some level that everything is here to help you. And let's say you have someone in your life who categorically denies the proposition that everything is here to help you and says, I disagree, everything isn't here to help us. Now, if we as spiritual people are going to meet someone like that, and we're going to say, but everything is here to help you, and here's why, we're actually using insight to invalidate someone's standpoint. So I think that the first step of authentically gleaming and glimpsing maybe everything is here to help you, which is maybe something people build up to, is that it's absolutely okay if everything isn't here to help you. And what we start with is creating some form of acceptance around that belief, around that perception, that in order for us, just like in order for us to forgive, we have the right to not forgive. If we have the right not to forgive, forgiveness will become a more authentic expression. So something we're trying to hurry through for whatever type of, you know, bypass or some sort of trading up experience we're hoping to have. So if someone is listening to this and believes everything is not here to help you, I would say, let's not try to move away from that. Let's see what happens in your body when you have the right to think and feel that and not feel as if you're missing out on anything better because you have to figure it out how to turn that into a belief. If you're someone who has someone in your life who wouldn't want to hear that statement, who would deny that statement, who would use that statement as grounds for an argument, how can we be the ones that instead of trying to promote such words, because the things that I teach are for us to carry in our hearts, are for us to inspire us into more, you know, authentic communication, courageous choice making. But when it comes to other people, the common misstep for spiritual people, and I say this with absolute love and respect, is that we're trying to get other people to see our viewpoint so that we can talk about the topics that we prefer talking about. And instead, what we're learning to do is be the acceptance around someone else's everything isn't here to help me. And if someone said that to me, they said, Matt, I, I saw a title of one of your books and everything isn't here to help me whatsoever. And I would say, you have a right to feel that way. 
And I would love to sit down and hear more about it. And when that's the response, then the irony is that even a person insisting that everything isn't here to help them is something here to help me and here to help me help them. So it's 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 a very the question's a very beautiful invitation to uh, the type of conversation that I think we're really ready to have in spiritual communities. Oh my gosh, yes, the space holding. And this is what I admire so much about you and just your energy of like how you fully see people and you're just so present for them and and you do that in a way that awakens them to be present for people. And it's this, oh, it's like, oh my God, it's like, this is it, this is it. It feels so beautiful to witness and understand that it's um, your new documentary, You're Healed by Love, that the (laughs) love (laughs) that you can give to someone can heal everything. It, It really can. And, but I love exactly what you said. It's like, if that's not your story, you don't have to force yourself into believing it's your story. And I do see this all the time. I I loved your, I wanted to jump into, I have a big list of my favorite Matt quotes, Um, (laughs) (laughs) but I love this one, which is understanding the law of attraction is not about learning how to impress the universe in exchange for the rewards you desire. It's a journey of evolving into the awareness that you are already divine perfection. You are already attracting exactly what you need to embody that knowing. And Mm -hmm. this was a post you had on your Instagram, which was like, we're not just doing a dance for the universe and saying, like, am I doing it right? Am I doing it wrong? And kind of that same theme, which is if that's not your truth, if that's not your story that you believe in, that everything is here to help you or that you can attract what you want, then you don't have to believe it. You don't have to force yourself into operating in a certain way. It's, it has become a little bit of spiritual bypassing into oh, yeah. some, I'd love if we could address that a little bit. Sure. Well, I think the, um, the, the first clarification is it's very sexy to say you can attract what you want. It's very truthful to say you're always attracting what you need and what you need may not be what you want. And the part of you that is so attached to what you want may only want what it thinks it wants because it's never actually lived in a reality of having all of its needs met. And so what's interesting is that the threat to the ego is that it seeks having its needs met, but the misunderstanding is that it seeks having its needs met by thinking that only occurs by getting what it wants. The threat for the ego is Well, first of all, if the ego is seeking having its needs met or what it wants, whatever it seeks, it's not the one to receive it. So the ego is the seeker. The soul, by and large, is the receiver. And just like a caterpillar dissolving so a butterfly can emerge through the chrysalis, the ego perishes in our identity so that what the ego has sought, the soul receives in whatever way serves your highest evolution. So the threat for the ego is... um, If I have all my needs met and I'm not in a state of deficiency, I don't know how to desire because the ego only knows how to desire in a state of imbalance or deficiency. So the ego is threatened by the things that you really need. And it's under the impression that what you really need is just what you want, which is why when we're children and we don't have what we want, we act injured or we seem ill or we have a tantrum. 
And, you know, maturity from childhood to adolescence through adulthood is really quite a complex emotional, energetic, and psychological phenomenon. You know, respectfully, there are people in 60-year-old bodies that are still identifying with childlike patterns. And so really in the waking up process of expanding consciousness, there should equally be a growing up with waking up. And sometimes we wake up before we grow up and sometimes we grow up then wake up. But nonetheless, when we look at the law of attraction, it's a very sexy and I would say immature insight to say that you have the power to attract what you want. It's not untrue, it's just not the purpose and whole truth. The whole truth is you're always attracting what you need, which then gets us one step closer to what if everything is here to help you? And that once you have your needs met, you will find yourself embodying a more mature you whose desires then you can attract at a faster speed but you're not going to know what those desires are and how they differ to the ego you until you allow your needs to be met. And if your ego is leading the journey, you will even seek your needs being met, but you can't receive them because the soul is the receiver. So we're always attracting what we need, what we need to release our grip of identification with an ego. We're not pushing ego away. We love it. But just as the same way a parent would love their child, but not indulge every want as if it's life or death, as if in the way they're presenting it. In the same way, we love our inner children, but we maintain the position of the parent to the inner child, right? My inner child might be the personality of my emotions, but I am its guard, I am its guardian, I am its protector, I am its guide, I am its parent. And I maintain my standpoint that says, I always wanna hear what you want, but I'm always going to give you what you need. And we're going to take this journey of awakening where everything I attract is what I need to create greater relationship with any emotional state, to bring love and acceptance to any amount of discord as I rewrite the past with the things I attract in the, in the present. And I have a chance to have thematic conversations that match the wounds of my past by acting and speaking as a different me than I was before I had the chance to be. And as we attract what we need, we change and transform. What we desire will change when our needs are being met. And at that point, the law of attraction actually becomes the most powerful because you're able to attract things beyond what you desire because you no longer need to decide or envision or um, define what you desire. And the biggest thing I can say is that the entire reason we go through the law of attraction, where we have a point of attraction and where desires can be attracted for all of the purposes of your expansion is that it's actually an initiation where you are learning to use the law of attraction so you can use that power of co-creation to desire greater change and higher consciousness for the awakening world around us. So if we get fixed in thinking the law of attraction is my magic genie, we get lost in seeking out, but we'll never have the ability to receive. We'll constantly think that there must be some trauma that I need to work on in order to fix and bring it to me. And we'll overlook the fact that we're only learning how to be co-creators in our personal life 
for how we can then say, how can I now manifest for the world that I wish to live as one instead of being harm or hurt or in a state of suffering and separation. And so I think when we really start to broaden this conversation with the law of attraction, we get out of the sexy headlines. Yes, we do attract, but the question is, why isn't something unexpected only a miracle when it's preferred and anticipated? Why can't everything be the miraculous will of the universe that lives within us? Oh, there's so much, Matt. That was so beautiful. <laughs> Thank it's you. So good. Well, it's just so true. There was so many thoughts that I had. Yeah. This idea that, yeah, like the analogy of, you know, we are getting fed vegetables and good foods by our parents and we're, we're grumpy about it because like to us, this isn't what is healthy, but they know, you know, this is what they need and we're, we're throwing a fit. It's very similar, right? This like inability to see these lessons, but also how can we know what we want? How can we, we just are drawn to it. We're just, it's just this internal pool and drawn when we define it, we almost take it away because how could our mind know what the potential is? You know, it's too magnificent. Um, <laughs> I, I love what you said it too. That's super helpful about like the guard, you are the guardian of your inner child. And then someone said this recently, but don't let them drive. Like, I think I lived a lot of my life. The inner child was driving, right? It was, she needs a place. She needs a, but then she, I wouldn't let <laughs> my six-year-old drive anything. So, so, oh, okay. Maybe I need to re-understand that relationship. So I really love that perspective. Can yeah. you share about your own dance with your ego as yeah. we kind of integrate and understand it's not separating from it. It's, it's friends with it. Like how do, especially in, in your world and your work and you as Matt, um, what's that dance been like? <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting because I had uh, more of a regular experience of my ego when I was much younger before I went through some really big awakenings, you know, but, but there's a misconception that when you go through awakening, your ego dies and it goes away and that's it. No more ego. And I think that, you know, it's not that when you awaken, there's no ego. It's that your ego is in the process of integration. And so having an integrated ego is kind of like, what is it like to wear your favorite outfit with your shirt tucked in versus just kind of tucked out? That when our egos are tucked in, um, our ego serves a purpose. We honor that purpose. But much like the relationship between the parent and the inner child, we are here to honor the voice of the innocence. We are here to honor the purpose of ego, but not necessarily identify or overly indulge it in the way you just described about giving it the wheel versus just letting it be in the passenger seat, have its little Fisher Price steering wheel, and it thinks it's driving the car, and we're going to thank it for getting us there safely. But we're going to know as smart parents what's really happening. And so if I were to share my experience with ego, one of the things I realized um, many years ago and as a reoccurring thing because you know I've, I've gone through different levels of awakening and in those different levels i've experienced what has become insights of different schools of thought so like i never learned spirituality from reading books i learned it from helping people channeling messages and i'm standing outside of myself listening to what people saying over years i put together oh this is what this path is about 
And it was a very interesting way to learn, but you know, you go through experiences where when you wake up out of identification with your personal self, um, that awareness of what you weren't aware of, like kind of like if you saw footage of you when you were really young and you were being precocious and you might see it and get a little embarrassed, or if you were, you know, oh my God, that was me at 13 or that was me in MC Hammer pants and, and all these different things. <laughs> and so when you have greater awareness, it can either be endearing or embarrassing. And as spiritual people, we tend to get embarrassed about um, how we've been uh, without the kind of awareness that we're so grateful drops in. And I remember, you know, in my life when I was younger, I used to have desires and I used to think if I don't have this desire fulfilled, if my parents don't get this for me, if I don't figure out a way to have it, you know, I'm going to die. And I, I can't not have this. And until I have this, I'm, I'm injured and I, I'm, I'm deficient. And I remember after I went through a series of profound awakenings, and there was a time when, you know, desires didn't even arise. I mean, I, I had spent, um, you know, nine years completely celibate. I, I was just in and, and I, in a groove. And I thought, well, well, geez, this, I guess I'm going to live like a monk the rest of my life. But without me, like, doing anything that I can say, like, and then he set the wrong intention. And it all came back. Eventually, it comes back. It comes back not as frequently, but it will come back. And I remember having a desire. And I remember the realization was, the felt intuitive sense was, this desire wants to be voiced, right? It wants my voice, not my choice. And so I had a desire that arose out of nowhere that was so kind of left field. And I had the intuition of the desire wants your voice, not your choice. And that means... The desire wants me to be its microphone and to say, oh, my God, I totally want this thing right now. And if I don't, the world's going to end. I'm going to die. And God hates me. And as I did it, I felt a smile in my heart from that part that said, I just wanted you to be open enough to theatrically give me the chance to say what I need to say on the stage of life's performance. And I needed to know that you're not so spiritual that you wouldn't let that happen. And I began just giving a voice to my desires instead of giving it a choice. And I would say to the universe, if this is a desire I should act on, bring me the evidence and bring it to me. I'm no longer going towards desires. Desires are gonna have to seek me out. And so if a desire or evidence of a desire didn't pursue me, obviously, then it just wanted my voice and not my choice. And I was just driving down the street many years ago. Here I am wondering where my wife is. I wish she was here right now holding my hand. Oh, loneliness sucks. Here I am lonely. And I would actually make songs about it in my car. And I would just sing out a desire if it arose. I'm singing a song in my car, pause the song to my new favorite CD. And I would literally make up a song of whatever that plot wanted me to say. And when I would do that, I was helping the cellular memory imprint of some part of me have it say, there was no one around to judge it. There was no correcting from my spiritual standpoint. So I was giving that part of course corrective experience from the hurtful past it remembered. And all it needed was a stage. It needed to be heard and it needed approval and no rejection or criticism. And then it said, 
I'm complete with my life and it would release the source and I would empty that cellular memory. And my job was to live my life. I didn't have any interest in constantly pursuing a desire because again, if a desire was legitimate, it would pursue me. Instead, I'd live my life. Like I have this baby I'm carrying in one of those Bjorn things. And every so often I would stop, whether in my car or wherever. And just to myself, I would make up a song or I would do a little monologue and that part would integrate back to source. And that's how I, uh, part of how I cleared my cellular body and how I learned to help people do the same thing because we learn it's not whether you have a desire or not. It's not whether you believe desires are good or bad because that's really based on past experiences, projections, judgments. Uh, really, it has to do with, are you willing to give a desire a choice or a voice instead of assuming it wants a choice? This is, and, and there are also people who will say, well, if I have a desire that arises, that must be the universe telling me what to do because we tend to project parental qualities onto the universe. So instead we learn to be very mature parents with our inner children. And when it wants, like if I had a kid, for example, who was having a tantrum because they weren't able to have Captain Crunch for dinner, I'd probably get on the floor and join them. And so in my own loving way, when this cellular memory wants something, like right now I'm on a very strict diet and let's say some craving arose, which I haven't had a single craving for whatever it is, I would make up a song and I would do a Shakespearean level monologue on how life will end, the universe hates me until I get that thing. And that part smiles and goes, thank you so much. It takes a bow and it clears. Wow, I love this. It's so good. Yes, we're just at, we're just the, the theatrical performance. That's what you just said. I love that visual that I'm just starved the show. <laughs> By the way, just another thing is, yes, there are certain desires that you will attract and there's nothing wrong with wanting what you want. At the same time, when you give a voice to the desire in this way, the strange thing is, is that the feeling that follows giving the desire just a stage for one moment is exactly the feeling you thought you would feel only if the desire was fulfilled. And so the irony is we think we only can feel a certain way once certain things happen. If we give a voice to desires, not eight or nine times out of 10, the feeling of just being the advocate for the desire and giving it the space to express its want actually brings you the feeling whether or not that thing actually happens. Yes. Oh, I love that. I love that so much. Thank you. Well, it's also, you just nailed it with those two terms, rejection and criticism, like yeah. how much of us live in that fear. And I've seen it so much in, in my life of the, you know, rejection or criticism or lack of full acceptance. And then the, how I react the pulling back, the, um, going into the cave, the finding armor that's old and past story, just trying to, oh, I don't want to feel that. And so just really allowing that um, to be a high in our awareness of many of our actions come from that fear, the, the fear of criticism, the fear of not being seen or accepted for who we are. 
And, you know, just, just to, you know, just to take the same approach. So then there are people who will hear that and go, okay, so instead of going to the cave and armoring myself, I'm going to try instead to accept and allow, which I understand that approach, but from a energetic standpoint, we are now trying to move in the opposite direction of the wave we're riding. So the ride, the, the wave we're riding is I am experiencing threat. I'm wanting to hide in the cave. And then, so now we're riding that wave. And then the idea is trying to make the wave we're surfing go the opposite direction. And so what if we took the same approach and said, here I am feeling threatened. Here I am feeling unsafe. Here I am wanting to defend myself and retreat in my cave. And I have every right to do so because this is how I become aware of how unsafe I feel for whatever reason. And if you give a voice to the thing you're aware that you're doing, that's what causes the wave to crumble, not move in the opposite direction. So it's taught in a very interesting way. But if we think of it like a wave, it doesn't make a lot of sense to say, how is a wave moving this way going to magically start moving that way? We're trying to go against the current. And current, of course, is another word for present, which is kind of funny. So instead, if we just speak out what we're doing, here I am feeling threatened. Here I am feeling unsafe. Here I am feeling unworthy, unwanted, and rejected. Here I am retreating to put on my armor. Here I am resenting this person. Here I am judging myself for that resentment. Here I am telling myself I'm failing my spiritual mission. And here I am telling myself it's going to be five more years before I manifest my vision board because God hates me when I do things wrong. Here I am making things up. Here I am acting out in a way I was trained by my spiritual path. Here I am projecting parental qualities onto the universe. Here I am in the same conditioning with just a new spiritual mask and costume. If we talk out what we are observing in ourselves, those words come from non-judgment and neutralize the tendency to judge ourselves for riding a wave in one direction while imagining it's supposed to go in the opposite. Thank you for that. Yes. Thank you. Oh, that was so perfect. <laughs> yeah. I also wanted to address um, this post you had similar to this, which is kind of, maybe it's similar, maybe it's not, maybe it's a different angle, but regardless, I, mm. as a empath, an energetic empath, and as a, a being, which so many, you know, well, we're all light beings just on our journey, the honesty as an empath. I yeah. thought this was so good. You said, it's like if your pet peed on something and you just sprinkled some lavender on it. And I do struggle with this. I struggle with the honesty because I, uh, yeah, I, I don't even know where to begin with that. That's something really big for me is just understanding. I, if you see things, if you're an empath, if you feel things, I think I'm too honest or I'm not honest. No, no, no. I'm not, I'm, I'm hiding the honesty. I'm not honest enough. Well, I got a, I got a solution for you. I actually okay. checked yesterday's and I'm like, where am I bringing this new teaching out? So obviously here we go. <laughs> um, so here's the, here's the uh, shocking truth about why it's hard to be honest for empaths. Okay. And then I'll explain exactly what I mean. Okay. 
The reason why it's hard to be honest is because it's hard to, now this is just for empaths. It's different if you're more of just a unaware, self-centered kind of person who's learning about empathy and preparation for journey. So let's say you're an empath. It's, it's hard for empaths to be honest because empaths try to be subtle. And then the other correlation is empaths try to be subtle because they confuse that with niceness or politeness. And then they say things to kind of throw it out there. They, right, they don't want to be rejected by someone, but then they kind of make that into a projection of I don't want to hurt their feelings, which is really I don't want them to hurt my feelings. And we throw things out there in such a passive aggressive way that people, it's like, it's like you're trying to tell someone a code word that they don't even know is a code word. It's like you're like, sitting with someone and you're like, uh, potato salad. And they're like, what? What? Instead of it being, don't be subtle, which is, hi, I'm not sure this relationship is working for me. And someone would hear that and they would say, well, that's rude because that might hurt their feelings. But what hurts someone's feelings is one more moment where they're under the impression that you're as into the relationship as they are. That's denial. And if we've created a state of denial and people have been under one impression and it hasn't really been that way, the shock is unexpected change. And people's reaction shows us their relationship would change. Now, it doesn't mean that we're callous, cold people. You can be warm, you can be sensitive. You can say, you know, we've been, we've been together for a while and I think you're an incredible person, but I'm just not sure I can do this anymore. And what's amazing about truth, and I think this is also why empaths hide in subtlety, is because empaths forget that communication and truth is about what's true for you, not a truth you think you know that belongs to another person. So when we say, I'm going to speak my truth, it's kind of like, hey, I know we've been in this dynamic, and I woke up today suddenly feeling differently, and out of respect to the journey we've been on, I knew you had to be the first to know. I can say that lovingly. I can say that compassionately, but I can literally respect the person enough to not be subtle. Because subtlety is what creates the energy of fear, the anticipation of rejection. And subtlety is where you give other people the opportunity to either play out fantasies that you don't belong in or to perceive you as who they need you to be versus who you actually are. So if we learn to be direct, not subtle, if we learn to be direct, not subtle, warm, compassionate, but to be succinct in our communication. Truth is not what we think we know about someone else. Truth is only about what resonates from us, no matter how different it was yesterday or even a moment ago. Oh, yeah, that helped me so much. That helped me so much because it is what you just said, the subtlety allows for story that isn't ours to play out and is so healing for both if it's done in that loving way. 
And what you just nailed was that um, denial, that kind of self-betrayal, right? Like we're, we're so all in mm-hmm. the, the healing of denial of self, like where have I denied myself? And so it is just a pattern of breaking that completely. So that's very helpful for me. <laughs> well, and just to add another nuance to it, because I remember being with my family and part of my story that I haven't really shared a lot is, you know, my family, when I first came into Awake, you know, I used to be a personal trainer. I was a bodybuilder. I was competed in bodybuilding. Then no I way, Matt. Yeah. And then I had injured and I had a whole like journey of, of becoming this, this guy into my family. Wow. Extended family. It's like, I thought you were a bodybuilder, personal trainer, and now you're, now you're a spiritual dude. Next week, you're going to be a candlestick maker. And so in the beginning, I was this weird spiritual guy showing up my, at the uh, events of my extended family. And I can look back and what I didn't realize, because at that time in my life, I thought deep conversation was always having a spiritual conversation. And I was trying to get people into my narrative many, many years ago. And I didn't realize that looking back, it's the spirituality that I needed us to discuss that actually created a liability in our connection. And we now all have in my family a great connection. They understand me a lot more, but it was when I learned to speak the language of emotion and the language of honesty versus the language of spirituality. So as an example, so I'm with my family. This is a totally true story many years ago. I'm talking to someone and I'm asking them questions to engage them, right? I come from a place of, I want to get to know someone so they feel safe to open up to me because I'm foreign, I'm different, I'm unknown. So I want to be disarming. So I take an interest and I take an interest and I realize one of these conversations where I'm taking an interest in them. They think we're having a conversation, but they're just kind of being interviewed by me. And I have this feeling of, I wish they would ask me about me. Now, conventional spirituality would say, and if you take just the surface layer of my teaching, you would say, well, Matt Common would just love the one that feels left out or unseen. And that would be it. But in truth, my teaching goes through many deeper layers. And instead, what I thought was, I think I'm going to help this person learn how to connect with me. And then their response is going to show me whether they consent to wanting to be reciprocal. So I said to them, by the way, I totally want to hear the rest of what you're saying. But when you're done, you should really ask me what's going on in my life because it's something so exciting. And I really would love to share with you. And they went, oh, my God, have I not asked you about you? I said, look, you're excited. I'm asking you about you. I want to hear all of this but I would love to share with you something very exciting. And they said, oh my God, totally tell me that. And I helped the person realize that they had never, they hadn't had a lot of people taking an interest. So my interest in them moved them into a parasympathetic state, which means they're not in fight and flight, they're in rest repose, which means their heart is open. But when some people's hearts are open that don't live with an open heart, they're disconnected from their thinking mind. So we're open-hearted, but we don't think on our feet. And so this person in rest repose, whose heart is open because I'm taking an interest in something in them, should have probably been on a retreat, uh, you know, a massage table, getting a massager at a spa and forgot that there's also me here to engage. So I just politely said, by the way, I also want to share with you something incredibly important I'm so excited. 
And if they had said, yeah, whatever, so anyway, that would have told me, oh, well, this person doesn't care about knowing me. And if I were to tell them about me, they wouldn't listen anyway. So that's good information for me. But in truth, I decided, let me help them learn how to communicate with me. Let's help each other. And so I think when we communicate, even though there's a lot of people that know my teaching, whatever arises, love that, that's the invitation of the teaching, but it goes so much deeper and compassion is all about active engagement. And sometimes it's about being so compassionate and saying, let me see if I can help someone communicate with me so that both of our needs can be met. And if they do, it's gonna open things up. And if it doesn't, it's good information for me. And maybe this isn't the person I'm gonna exchange Christmas cards with or whatever, but I think when we talk about being heart-centered, and I think when we're with our families, and if you're with your family, these are people who are not used to having an open heart. And if you're the energy that opens their heart, which means you're either gonna trigger the crap they don't wanna look at, or you're gonna put them in such a state of rest and repose out of fight and flight that they don't have access to their thinking mind because they're on a vision quest. And if we really start understanding what our energy does to people, we actually can start to see most of the time people are not trying to ignore us, judge us. It's really just us being more aware of their experience than maybe they are or even know what to do about it. And so compassion and the way compassion likes to engage is, is so good for all. Wow. I love this because it takes compassion from just being like what some people see it as is just roll over me, just walk right. over me, right? Just here I am just being the empath energy light that <laughs> I just relate to this so much. Oh my God. I love this turn of events. That's just like, it is that visual is so helpful is the heart explodes. It's so many people need this, right? They need someone right. in front of them to just love and see and support. And then I, it's just exploding. And what do you even do with that? And then that ability to say, Hey, like, let's be reciprocal with it. And if, as soon as they're like, Oh, of course, of course, it just, I love that. That's so relevant to my life <laughs> by the way here's how i learned this this is so funny so yeah. i'm the kind of person that you come to my house you welcome me in my house what do you need a glass of water can i make you lunch i cook, cook for everyone um so I, I had this um plumber come to my house to fix something one day many years ago and nice gentleman we have a conversation i take an interest and as he's assessing what needs to be fixed um we're talking and you know he asked me about my work and we start talking about you know, his mother just passed away. And I wind up like, of course, being the role of a light worker and helping this person heal. This person goes into such a state of rest and repose that I'm feeling them being so heart nourished that they wind up leaving tools at my house, doing half of what we agreed that they were going to do. And I, at that, this many years ago, and I was like, how come I'm the brightest light and the nicest person? And they don't do the best job. And if you're not nice, they're afraid to mess up and they do the best job. Now, I'm not saying be a not nice person. But what happens is we as empaths are so heart-centered and we're so engaging. We put people into a parasympathetic state 
where they don't have access to their thinking mind. Now, the fact that most people need pressure and stress and fear to think their best is what happens when you're identified with ego. So what I've learned to do is I'm very nice. I keep it very minimal. Hi, good to meet you. Oh, Matt, don't bow. Don't do the namaste. It's going to transmit something. Um, good to see you. You want some water and, and get out of there. Run away. Run away. This is and it's an intervention for me. Get the hell out of there, Matt. Let them do their thing. And then afterwards, then we do past life uh, regression. Then we do um, soul retrievals. And then they can leave my house without their shoes because they're at Vipassana meditation. But we as spiritual people think that connection means deep dive into our stuff all the time. And it's hilarious when you actually see there's a time and place for everything. And for most people in the world, an experience of heart-centeredness or parasympathetic nervous system, rest repose, causes them to not be able to think. So that means what we're learning to do is as human beings, when we integrate, we're learning to be heart-centered with the ability to think. And when we have the ability to think, we don't speak or act with a closed heart. That's the integration of this. And so we come all, all heart, they come all mind, and the conversations we have is like a sitcom. Good. I just, I I can't even. I'm like crying, laughing over here because it's so. There's times. This is so beautiful. Thank you for that. So many yeah. people needed to hear that, especially yeah. me. And it's so true. I'm like avoid. I have to avoid eye contact. You know, like the eye contact thing where you want to. You're just like just a second, but I know if I look too long, it's game over. <laughs> Don't stare. Don't gaze. Don't do the spiritual thing. Don't. <sighs> the staring contest thing yes, you're going to pull them out of their body they're going to be reborn they're going to be a walk-in <laughs> and then they're, they're going to be some sort of pleiadian light being who doesn't know how to fix your sink yes after wait till after yes exactly. this. this is so good oh thank you matt okay tell us about um healed by love this new documentary i tell us what tell well, us all about it well healed by love was a documentary that my incredible team and i made together we always have this desire of, you know, bringing the arts and consciousness together, you know, which is really the blend of arts and sciences. Um, and I've always wanted to do a documentary, but when my team and I came upon this project, because my team are also filmmakers, we're incredibly talented. And we had this vision of let's, let's, you know, really document in a cinematic way the things that happen uh, in, in healing sessions. And let's demonstrate the healing power of love. Of course, that was our intention. We keep it open-ended for spirit to guide us. What we wound up filming was not a documentary about healing, right? Sometimes you watch documentaries and there's a bunch of people talking about a subject. So this is not a documentary about healing. This is a documentary that heals. And it's profound. And it has a certain energy and a vibe that brings a realness to spirituality um, you know, I always teach what wants to come through me. And as I evolve, it changes over time. So people that are following me, we're all growing together. They're growing, I'm growing, I'm always changing. And I think that's the energy of a real alive teaching. And so this, this Heal by Love documentary is really showing how love heals. And it takes us, we all find ourselves in every 
in the journeys of the people depicted in the film, but it's a film that heals you while you watch it. And it does so in a way while, you know, approaching real life subject matters like abuse and, um, you know, passive aggressive behavior and um, gender, gender struggles and obsessive compulsive patterning. And, you know, these are the things that we deal with in our everyday life. And so I'm just so proud of creating a film that has such a potent healing effect for people, but is bringing spirituality into our everyday lives instead of spirituality being an escape from our everyday lives. You know, we did that in the beginning of the journey. That was really popular in the 80s. The 90s, it was a mishmash of things. But I think now in, you know, 2024, I think what it is, we are really finding an invitation to how can we find spirituality in our everyday lives? And something that I've never said, you know, publicly that really highlights the power of this documentary is that religion is man's, man's made up way of trying to conceive spirituality. Spirituality is man's best attempt to glimpse reality. Healing happens in reality. And spirituality, in a modern day perspective, tends to be the fan club of people who are trying to find reality. But what this documentary will show you, and what the teachings I offer, and what is really coming to the forefront of this world, is that you don't have to be spiritual in order to heal because the highest spirituality is entering reality. And the highest healing comes as our journey back into reality. And so it's really an opportunity for people at any level of spiritual interest or advancement to find their entry point into a reality where love can heal us, set us free, and make it safe for us to express ourselves and to find our highest purpose in the world. Whoa, <laughs> that is so, and I got snippets of it. I am so here for that documentary. Even just watching the trailer brought chicken skin on my arms. <laughs> I was like, because it is, it is healing. When we see story and we see ourselves and other and, and from all backgrounds and, and see them go through that process. I mean, it activates strong, some, some beautiful things. So I'm linking all of this below for everyone to access, to, to watch. Mm. I am so grateful for you, Matt. I am so, um, so happy that our lifetimes crossed in this, this year. <laughs> uh, and I, obviously you've gone through, I love what you said about you're growing, your audience is growing with you. I relate to that quite strongly. And just this deep appreciation of letting go what no longer serves us and being open to that, which is ready for us to embrace. And I'm, I don't know where this part of your journey, if it includes it, but just out of deep curiosity, yeah. I'm curious if astrology or human design has been a part of that journey and in any way that that's been helpful for you. It, I'm just so curious. I'm like, what is this human design? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what the most, most impactful thing for me has been Egyptian, Egyptian numerology and my soon to be wife as a, as a master 
at Egyptian numerology. She was trained in an original form of what the Pleiadians brought to the Egyptians. She was trained to read through playing cards because the creation of playing cards was actually where the teachings the Pleiadians gave to the Egyptians. All the teachings were encoded and hidden in a deck of playing cards. And so I will say that what I have learned about Egyptian numerology, um, and I learned it after I've always, you know, channeled from the universe and my soon to be wife and I are both channels and we both channel the same frequencies, but we channel in different ways. Uh, what I've learned from that has been groundbreaking as far as the nature of reality. You know, astrology is never something I've, and it's, this isn't, you know, I, I appreciate all modalities. Astrology has never been something I've known a lot about. Um, if I read my horoscope, um, if I if I like a better horoscope, then I switch signs. Um, whichever one is talking about abundance, that's me this week. Oh, I'm a Taurus, whatever that means. And you know, people, you know, people come up to me and you know talk the human design language. Oh, no, no, Matt, no, Matt, Matt, seriously, seriously, Matt, you're a projector. No, seriously, you're a projector. Then the Enneagram people, Matt, you've got to have a three wing. You've got to have a three wing whatever and 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 these are just things i haven't had a chance to dive into i find it all interesting but the one thing i have learned a little bit about is egyptian numerology my soon-to-be wife joy kingsborough who is about to become joy khan um is so masterful in the understanding of it and, and what i love about it is and i'm sure this is true when you teach astrology or anything at a high level but my exposure to numerology from her perspective has been a way in which we get out of the dogma and superstition and we go light years beyond angel numbers. And it's not about this is good or bad. What it really is about is how to get out of the tendency to attract and have transactional relationships and how to connect in sacred partnership and of course, you know, it's to, to bring it all full circle, when we engage in sacred partnership, that's when we start to really see that everything is here to help us. Oh my gosh. Okay. So can you send me joy? How, does, does she teach online? Is this something we can access? Okay. You would probably love to talk with her and just yes. dive into this, um, you know, joykingsboro.com and okay. uh, right now creating many, you know, she's going to still teach on her own. I'm going to teach on my own, but we're creating a lot of joint teachings together. Uh, so we're soon to, soon to come out with some very exciting things for people that are in both of our communities and how to invite communities to come together. So, so it's really amazing that both of us will still teach, but we're also creating this middle ground of what we're creating as teachings together. And, and it's, it's, um, I'm so proud that this is the woman that I get to be with, I get to journey with, I get to teach with, and again, this is the woman that I get to marry quite soon. And and it's, um, I'm I'm such a blessed, happy man. Oh, and I love say, what you just said. The the ending is perfect. Sacred <laughs> relationship, sacred partnership, yeah. is exactly what teaches us that everything is here to help us. How true is that to have? to be able to access that deep love and, and to be seen it, healed by love. It's so love. beautiful. Oh, Matt. Okay. So Instagram, Matt Con official, I'll link all yeah. the healed by love documentary. I'm so grateful for your time, for your heart, for your energy. I, I'll definitely reach out to joy. I, I just, yeah. am, you just opened up a new thing for me. So thank you. <laughs> I needed that. <laughs>
And before we end, I have one, this maybe uh, you asked me a lot of questions, which of course is purpose, but do you mind if I ask you one question? Oh my goodness. I would love it. I would love it. What does meat head heavy mean? <laughs> <laughs> I love that you asked this because sometimes I have a, a hoodie and people really get it or they don't. So like, and I've thought about changing yeah. the, the name a few times because I'm like, is this still true for me? Is this still true for me? But I, so it's so funny you're asking this. Um, so Meathead, of course. So yesterday I was driving to Northern California and I saw Meathead Movers and it was student athlete movers. Mm. And I just, so I'm like, okay, yeah, that is kind of, I go into a gym and I still have that bodybuilding gene. That's like, I just love bicep curls. I just yeah. can't help it. So that's this Meathead. And then the hippie is of course, whatever that means for spirituality or access of army. So it's this combo that I feel like I'm this juxtaposition, but also the integration. So I haven't changed it because it's still representative of me, but I'm open. I'm open universe. If I need to change the name, I'll change the name, but that's what it means to me is I love bicep curls, but I definitely love to go talk to my inner self. As that's so funny because I'm like, I don't know, maybe she eats keto. I don't know what's going on. And, you know, I come from a bodybuilding background. I'm starting to work out again. And I've done this many times in my life. And I've done this. I'm getting into shape. And then I've lost the weight. But then I found it. Ha ha. Can't kind of forever. But I, I'm my wife and I are both getting into incredible shape for our wedding. And we also love just being healthy. And yes. um, so I'm I'm back in the gym and um i enjoy bicep curls too i enjoy doing them slowly and what people wouldn't expect me to say is when i'm in the gym i lift slowly one because i used to be a personal trainer and it's all about form yes. right yeah if you're lifting heavy but you're using every muscle right and isolate but i lift slowly to so to savor the burn and the pain oh yeah that's actually my headphones on. Yes. It's an experience. Slowly. Make no noise. Breathe. Make no noise. Don't scream. Don't do that. Don't scream. We see those people. We love them. Don't scream. Slow, silent burn. Yes. 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 It's a spiritual experience. It yes. is. It totally is. I did those bicep curls yesterday and I was like, because we know mind to muscle connection, that increase, that activation, game changer, game changer. Oh, this is so fun. Yeah. So, okay. Meathead hippie. Now we, now we know. Yeah. It has not nutrition wise. I'm so about what obviously the body is and that is the reason I, if I changed it, it was because eating meat is not a casual thing. And I don't want anyone to take it casual if they do it. You know, this is a sacred act if you are to eat meat. And that's, are you vegetarian? I was vegetarian for two months. And for my body constitution, it was not a healthy move for me. It was, um, I'm not someone who craves sugar. And I've never craved more sugar than when I was eating vegetarian. Um, I just a quick story about this. I went to a doctor a couple of years ago and had some blood drawn. And I'm used, I've been used to defining myself um, 
by my energy field and my energy and my vibration. And I'm great and I'm fine and I feel great and I don't experience, you know, all these things, time and thought. And I go to the doctor a couple of years ago and she goes, how do you feel? And I said, well, you know, I feel well, all is, all is one. Um, Evan is alive. And she goes, well, your uh, cholesterol is high, your blood pressure is suspect and you're borderline diabetic. And I and it was shocking because I don't feel that way. I don't feel my, I feel my body as a manifestation of energy. And, and a couple of years ago, it was really quite a, a realization of, oh, wow, am I interpreting as intuitive as I am for my own personal life? Am I interpreting things too much through a spiritual lens? Am I not really being as present with my physical body as I am with my spiritual body? And this happened a couple of years ago. And it really kind of helped open my eyes. And I've tried different ways of eating. Um, a lot of people probably wouldn't expect me to say this. I mean, I eat all organic, you know, sustainable. Um, I bless everything. I don't waste. I'm grateful. Um, but but I, I went on the carnivore diet. And I went only meat, eggs, and butter, and salt. And I cut everything else out of my diet, no carbs, no sugar. I even, I even, uh, my wife and I both did this because our bodies were calling to it. And it was like, this is what we need to do. Um, we even went to Disneyland like this and we ate zero sugar and carbs at Disneyland. And oh, wow. um, I can say, just taking it one step at a time, I feel remarkably different. I feel more in my body. I feel more in my, you know, personally, my divine masculine power, but we we eat very specifically, very precisely. Um, and, you know, we have both had these experiences of at different times in our lives, you know, plant-based. And there are people that will say a lot of things about, oh, you can't be unless you're plant-based. Um, but really everyone's body is totally different. And every single thing, whether it's a vegetable or an animal, or a human being gives her life for something bigger. And so for me, what's really important for my wife and the both of us is that we vote for the highest level of ethical treatment and sustainability. And everyone gets to vote every day with their food. We get to vote three times a day. And there are some days that we're, you know, doing an intermittent fasting. We only eat twice a day. So what I love about this eating week, and again, I'm not promoting it. I'm just saying what I've been doing is that we, we're, we only eat when our body says it's out of, energy to burn it's not about a mental craving it's not about a i need entertainment and as someone who loves to cook it's been really challenging because i love having you know my plate my presentation and uh and i think i'm going to wind up settling into more of a functional keto for me personally a little bit of vegetables yeah but i've been doing this for a little bit and i've lost eight pounds um, and I, and I'm, and I'm really reversing a lot of things that were both hereditary and in lifestyle. And, uh, I feel so good. And if tomorrow my body said, go plant-based for the rest of your life, I would. Yeah. So just listening to my body, I'm honoring the universe and every ingredient that supports my well-being, And I'm, and I'm grateful for the fact that I'm really as in tune with my physical body as I have been in my spiritual journey. That was something a couple of years ago that was really powerful for me to learn. Thank you for sharing all of that because we have to flow. We have to have the listenings and the changes and no attachment and just intuition and trusting that again. And 
That's so beautiful. I, the only thought I'll add to this that yeah. was super helpful for me was when I, you know, I'm like, okay, my relationship with meat, what is that? And relationship with taking and consuming and doing the same things, blessing and gratitude. And is that enough? And what does my body need? And we all, you know, this constant questioning, which is a fine line of insanity, but just definitely this, this beautiful awareness. And I went a week without any meat. I just did eggs. Yeah. And then I had, I was like, okay, my body is asking for it. I'm training hard. I need these proteins. So I, I had tuna and then I had venison um, from force of nature. So like an ancestral blend of yeah. uh, venison, which was heart and liver and venison great combo. And I laid down for sleep that night and it was crazy. I had never, I felt, I have felt this energy in some way, but I literally felt the fish swimming upstream. It was a salmon that I ate. I felt that energy in my body. And then I saw the venison with a big, I was like, whoa, whoa. (laughs) I have more reverence than ever for this energy, this what you said, that masculine healing and that activation and that deep survival, like we can take that on from these animals. And it just took it to another level of like my relationship with this and eating meat and what it looks like and my respect for it. And just my deep excitement of that awareness unfolding even more. And, and, you know, and I will say I have, you know, I'm not here to promote carnivore or keto because everyone has to find what's good for them. I'm not here also against plant-based, vegan, vegetarian, whatever, whatever resonates with you. But I will, I will say I have experienced meeting a lot of people who eat plant-based diets who have compromised immune systems. And so what I will say is I, I would love to invite any of us to honor our physical bodies to the extent we honor our spiritual path and to find what is actually right for our highest functioning of well-being, because when our body is functioning at the highest capacity, there's more space for our spirit to be embodied for the benefit of the world. And, you know, it's a complex conversation. It's a deep conversation. And it's a conversation that we can have with one another. But more importantly, it's really a conversation that each of us must have with our heart and our soul. And, and we have to just do what's best for us uh, and come from the highest intention and come from the highest sustainability uh, in the same way that we want to create a world that really benefits and supports all. So um, I think we're at a place in the spiritual journey where we can have a complex conversation and not everyone has to eat the same way and talk the same way. And we can find our own pathway to holistic well-being. And again, that changes throughout your life, that changes by age to age, that changes by paradigm to paradigm. So what I'm saying right now, next week might be Tofu City, you know what I mean? But I'm listening to my body and I'm in tune with it and I'm in reverence for the gifts that spirit has given me so I can serve the world at full capacity. That is so beautifully said. Thank you, thank you for bringing, I'm so glad we touched on this. I'm so glad we talked about this. Oh, thank you so much. Okay, Matt, one quick little bit, one little photo for us, a little, yes, my, I wish you could see this background of this. I mean, it's a whole bed right here. (laughs) I am so grateful for you. Have such an amazing afternoon. Tell Joy, I can't wait to connect with her work and 
thank you for all you do for, for the world. Thank you for your heart. Once again, we are so grateful for your time. Why is this an honor? Wow. Bye. <laughs>